0: This morning, before I speak very briefly, yes, miracles do still happen. Before I speak briefly, we're going to enter in collectively about what I believe the Word of God has for us this morning. I need your help. And if you're six years old, or you're 60 60 years old, I need your help this morning. This morning we're going to speak about the magnificence of God. The magnificence of God. If you were to come face to face with God and survive it, what do you think you would experience? Now, To know Christ, to have Christ as our Savior, is to what? Is to experience God. We don't necessarily get to come face to face. One day we will. And we will survive that. But in our moment, in our time, knowing Him through His revealed Word of His Scripture, or knowing Him through His Holy Spirit, what has that been like for you? And we can use some adverbs or adjectives See, I'm flashing around my steep knowledge of grammar right there. To describe what it means to see the magnificence of God. I'm going to start right now. Hi, Trinity. Did I scare you? (laughs) Hi, Trinity. How are you? (laughs) The magnificence of God is through the miracle of birth of children. Yesterday, we had another child come into our community. Clara Gaines came into our community. You're going to have a buddy. You're going to have a buddy in nursery. Yeah. You uh, You guys can slobber all over the nursery workers. Yes. This morning, how would you describe... The magnificence of god anybody awesome in what way who said awesome how would you, how how what what does that mean ben yeah there you go it's beyond words others the magnificence of god overwhelming it overwhelms my soul, we just sang. What else? This is where we're giving praise and exaltation to Him. Mm. Excellent. Anybody else? Pure love. Pure love. Freedom from sin. Freedom from sin. Amen. His grace. His mercy. His comfort. His comfort. Now I like exponents. I love exponents. Here's what I hear. It's not just those words that you're using to try to describe the magnificence of God. Every single one of you that has spoken, I know personally. And those words that you use, that you chose to use to describe God in His magnificence, comes together with how He has revealed Himself to you personally in your story. All of those things are true for all of us. But for your personal story, I can understand why you would say those things. God is unique to every individual. His standards and His righteousness stand true for each of us. Those are the same. His principles don't change. But how He presents Himself and how He engages with each of us, whether we're in 5th grade grace or whether we're in uh, 18th grade, Uh, I'm a gene, it doesn't matter. How He presents Himself to us is unique. And this morning I want to take a moment, turn to Job 42. In our life group this past week, we were studying the idea of the uh, concept of experiencing God. And somehow we got onto the story of Job. And one of our uh, wonderful life group members talked about the fact that devotionally they're going through the book of Job. Not an easy thing to do. At all. And they're about halfway in and they're struggling with it. They're saying, this is not my picture of God. This is really difficult. This is really hard. You know, I'm going to start with the end how many of you do that you you get a new novel and you read the last chapter so you can know ahead of time who did it any of you you cheaters well we're going to cheat this morning we're going to do it legally so you know there's no sin that's happening here we're going to go to the very last verse of the very last chapter of the book of job and before you read it let me just set it up because some of you may not be aware of this story This story is about a patriarch. This actually may be chronologically one of the earliest accounts of God's interaction with man that we have in the Old Testament. Although it's listed about the middle of the Old Testament, chronologically, it probably predates Abraham. Or somewhere around the time of Abraham. And Job is listed as a magnificent servant of God. By who? By God Himself. Could you imagine... Grayson, Nick, Carl. Could you kids imagine that God is talking to the angels around Him and God says about Jack or Shelby or Magdalena or Mary or any of you or Rory or Callie, that God says, have you considered My servant? And starts bragging about you. And see, the way the story unfolds is that actually, and I don't know how this works, folks, don't ask me, this is a theological question I got an F on in seminary, All right. Somehow Satan was allowed to walk in the courts of God even after he had been cast out of heaven. And so God engages Satan and He says, have you considered the magnificence of My servant Job? And Satan responds to him, hey, anybody could do that well if they had zero pressure on Anybody can do that well if they're surrounded by a cush life. Take away those things and you'll find out who Job really is. And so God, in effect, in his own way, whether in Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, whatever the language is, kind of said, All right, I'll play the game. And the next 38 chapters. Is all about the suffering and the greatest suffering that a human being can go through. But how did the story end? You see, when you look at the story of Job and you see the suffering that Job endures, the loss of all of his wealth, the loss of family members, a wife that told him to curse God and die. Now there's some wife support, right? The ostracizing of himself from his community and his friends physical maladies that made him so disgusting that nobody wanted to be around him or talk to him or even consider his being. His friends tried to counsel him. We're going to hear about those friends here in 42. But the last statement of 42 says this. Basically, when it's all said and done, the end of the story is this. And Job died. An old man and full of days. How many of you are hoping to live to an elderly age? How many of you are hoping to have a full life? That's what we're all about. That's the greatest dream that we can have as individuals. So let's look and see what happens here at the end. You see, Job goes through this great trial And Satan is trying to get him to curse God and die. But Job never does it. Job never does it. But just preceding this interaction we're going to see, God comes to Job and He says, gird yourself up, prepare yourself, for I'm about to speak to you. And God spends multiple chapters telling Job, this is who I am. Why do you question me? I am the magnificent God. I can do all things. And when the end comes, this is what Job says. It starts with the first verse. And it goes through 6. 1-6 through six, if you're in Job 42. And this is Job's confession. This is Job's confession. Yesterday at the men's breakfast, we talked about the need for men to be strong leaders. And part of that is confessing. Job says this, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Job is speaking of his foolishness. Now that he has heard God face to face and he's heard of the magnificence of God, all of his complaints pale. They, they kind of materialized to dust. And that's what Job is saying. I never should have spoken. I spoke about things I don't know about. My friends, to us this morning, what is your impression of God? And if He stripped everything away from you, what would be your impression of God? You see, kind of the story of Job is that man wants to put a projection onto God and feels justified in doing so. But we heard from Romans 11 earlier today that who can know the mind of the Lord? Who has ever given counsel to God that God should give counsel back to him? And so Job is going through this confession and he starts to understand he never should have spoke. He should have just understood the magnificence of God. And so he says this in his confession to the Lord. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. When you see God, when you get to a point where you unwrap yourself and you truly see God, you arrive at a place of understanding that God is a magnificent, loving God, who will carry us through. And it is His character will carry us through. His desire for us is to carry us through with grace and mercy and power any challenge that we will face. And the effects of that challenge, the evil of those challenges, are not to be attributed to Him. Just like the story of Job, those challenges, those trials, that pressure came from Satan, not God. But it was God who carried Job through it. And that's what Job realizes in the end. And that's why he says, Forgive me. I confess. I am but dust. What happens next? You know, there's a fascinating thing that happens when we get our understanding of ourself before God and our relationship to Him. God exalts us. When we humble ourselves, when we get to our knees, God exalts us. You see, Job had some well meaning friends. You ever have well meaning friends? You have some of those? I'm often one of those. Right? That there's some challenges going on in a friend's life, and so I'll try to come alongside him and I'll try to fix it. You ever try to fix somebody spiritually? Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever counseled God that God should give back to him? When you come alongside a friend, come alongside hearing, listening, empathetically, sympathetically, and point them to Jesus, will you? Point them to the powerful words of God, not your own wisdom. And ask God to speak. It's where we started today. Word of God, speak. Ask God to speak. His friends, Job's friends. By the way, did anybody put the correlation together that Job is spelled just like Job? And Job is all about suffering? And Anyway, we'll move on. So the next segment here, in the end of the story, is the Lord rebukes Job's friends. Maybe some of you have that written in your theme above this this section. I had to add something on. Not only does He rebuke Job's friends, He exalts Job. Have you ever been offended by somebody, but you held your tongue and in the end, through circumstances or the Lord, God brought them to a realization that they were actually wrong. And then they had to come and recognize that before you. You didn't prompt any of that. You didn't force any of that. God lifted you up. God was your defender. And that's what happens to Job. Listen to this. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Wow. When you get accused of something in a wrong sense, somebody attacks you out of an attitude of unrighteousness or selfishness, let God be your defender. Let God be the one that stands for you. Because He can reach to even your worst critic. That person that wants to tear you apart, God can reach to that person and speak to that person and He will lift you up. And isn't this fascinating? God now takes it back to these guys. He takes it back to him. He gets right up to him and He says, Job was right, you were wrong and I'm mad at you. Anybody else get shivers up your spine right there? And the only way you can get right with me is you're going to have to take seven bulls and you're going to have to go to Job who you were accusing of being wrong. And you're going to have to sacrifice those in front of Job. And then if Job so chooses, he will offer prayers for you. And only through that will I what? Only through that will I forgive you. Only through that will I forgive you. So now what's happened to Job? Job has been reestablished by his accusers in front of his accusers and they're highly motivated. They're highly motivated. God is magnificent in His love and His affection for you. Now remember, Job had to go through it. But this is the end of the story. If you're going through it and you're wondering where God is, just keep thinking about the end of the story. Be faithful So what happens to Job? Job had lost everything. Job had gone through great suffering. Maybe you can kind of relate to that. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're going through difficulties. Maybe those things seem insurmountable. And maybe you've gotten to a point where you've said, where are you, God? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and and you're struggling with what I'm saying. That you can't say that He is a magnificent God. Pastor, I don't know that I can say that right. Let me just share with you, I don't know that Job could have said that while he was going through what he was going through. He could admit that God existed. He could admit that God was worthy of his attention, his worship, and his praise. But Job was crying out, where are you? Why is this happening? We get that, don't we? So what happened in the end to poor Job? Would you listen to this? When it was all done, righteousness prevailed. God won. And there's nothing different between you and I and Job. Because Satan is seeking to destroy you like he sought to destroy Job. And God is saying, have you considered my servants? And that same God that is available to Job and came through for Job is available for you and is seeking you but you have to cry out to him. Remember Job's confession. I heard of you with my ears but now I see you with my eyes. He went through great suffering so he could truly understand who God is, who Jesus is. And what happened in the end? Verse 10 And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had allowed upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. I'm not sure that that's how the Lord will translate to you. And I, these days, I don't have enough room for all that livestock. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. And he We'll skip all the names just because my grammar isn't that good. But we'll go to 15. And in all the land there were no women as so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years. After all of that, he lived 140 years. And saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. Is that not the desire that we would see our children grow In maturity, that we would then see their children. We would see the result of the fruit of all of our labor passed from generation to generation. God established Job so he would see all that. And what happened in the end? And Job died. He died an old man and full of days. God is magnificent. Whether we're suffering or whether we are thriving. It is only He that can carry us through and make us thrive in the midst of circumstances. This morning as we continue in worship, let's focus on that. Let's let that be our primary goal, our primary focus. I'm going to ask if you would just bow your head and and focus in meditation on what the Word just said to you. and Think about how God wants that to affect you. And then we'll continue on in worship. As God exalted Job, He exalted His Son. His Son died on a cross purposefully so that you and I did not have to experience death eternally. He sent away for you and I. And just like Job's friends, and Job wasn't sinless. But just like Job's friends, we all experience sin. Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And just because of that sin, that one sin, it was enough sin to separate Adam and Eve and create a necessity for a a sacrifice so that God could be satisfied for a payment for an offense. And because of man's proclivity towards sin, God said enough is enough. I will now exalt my Son. I will make Him the ultimate sacrifice. He did that for you. As we suffer in a broken world, as we're challenged with that, He reached out to you like you reached out to Job. And He reached out with His greatest gift, His Son, Jesus Christ. That truly is magnificent. And this morning, if you need that faith, if you need that relationship with Jesus Christ, it's this simple. He says that it is only through himself that anybody has access to the Father. You'll hear a lot of other conversation out there that we should coexist. We should get this and this and this and this. You know what's interesting? If you ask someone who's in Islam, they will say you can't coexist. If you ask somebody who is in Judaism, they will say you can't coexist. If you ask somebody in... It just goes on and on and on. It's a nice thought. Here's the beauty of coexisting. To coexist in heaven eternally with our Creator, God our Father, Jehovah. And Jesus proved that He was the only way to make it happen because He died and then He what? He rose. If He doesn't rise, it's a sham. It's all over. But He rose. He had victory over death. And that's what He promised and that's what He fulfilled. And so that same God says in first P- or Second Peter Chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power, that same power that raised Christ from the grave, has given us everything we need according to life and godliness. It's there waiting for you. You just simply respond in faith. And you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. You confess the sin, and then He becomes your Lord and Savior. And that's what it means to know the Gospel and to have a transformed life Where Jesus shepherds, leads, cares far beyond what you can do in your own life. What I'd love for you guys to do right now is love on each other. So we're going to have you all stand up. We're going to bring the lights up in the house a little bit. And we're going to let you say hi to one another. And then when you hear the music, come back together for a very, very special song. And we'll continue in our worship of praise let's stand up and say hi to one another greet one another
1: Turned into wine Water you turned into wine Open the eyes of the blind There's no one like you. None like you Through the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like darkness you shine, out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you, none like you, our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, Awesome in power, our God, I got And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against And If our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us Then what could stand again? work could stand again? Our God is greater Our God is stronger God you are higher our God is healer, awesome and power. Our God. Our God. And if our God is for us. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against awesome and power our God, our God. Amen. You may be seated. All the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice, he wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice.
0: Remember the words of Job. He said that his ear had heard of God. And then he says, But now my eyes have seen you. I long for the day where I will see Jesus Christ face to face. And that time will come But until that time, do you know how I see Jesus? The primary way is through you. The primary way is through you. And so this morning, continuing in worship, how great thou art. We've set up some candles. And I'm going to have Janine go light the two large candle stands and take one over to this side. There's only so many candles. Last time we did this, we ran out. And if you don't get to do it right here, then do it at home. But we're going to bring the lights down. Rachel wants to share a song during this time that means a lot to her about the greatness of God again. And if there is a praise, hear me clearly, if there is a praise of God doing His work in, through, or around you that you have seen and you want to give testimony to, you simply come and light a candle. And when we finish this morning, I believe that the candles that we see lit will represent the glory of God. Then we'll continue in worship with the doxology and the gathering of our offering and a closing hymn. So as the Spirit leads you, during this song, come forward and light a candle.
1: give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You are hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great You're
0: There's a story of a tourist who was visiting an ancient village in Bavaria. And much like any European ancient village, there was a chapel that had the most prominent position in the village up high on the hill. And the tourists noticed that there were, uh, there were no lights And yet, the congregation was to gather at night when it would be dark. And he turned to a parishioner and said, How do you meet in the dark? And he said, Well, if you stand here, minutes before we do the call for Vespers, you will see a processional that comes up the main road from the town. Of lights, of candles, and each person is allowed to bring one candle. And it represents God's work in their life. And He says, We light this church, God lights this church. The glory of God is so much stronger than any candle. And so as I close this morning, we're going to ask, if you're sitting by one of those windows, gather those drapes in. The rope is in the windowsill. Tie them off. We're going to bring all the light we can into this place. We're going to shine our light in just a moment. And I'm going to ask that We pray right now. I'm going to ask the men to prepare to take the offering. And then I will close with the doxology. As I close with the doxology, at the end of that, we're going to bring back a beautiful song. Prepare yourselves to sing in one of the greatest cathedrals in Concord this morning. Stephen, would you just play lightly through that song? Amen. Let's come forward and participate in our offering. Let me pray over our gifts this morning. Lord, it is to Your glory that we give. We give joyfully. We give to Your glory. We give so that You might multiply exponentially Your glory in the Kingdom of Heaven here on earth. Take and use our gifts. In Your name we pray. Amen. and forever. Amen? Amen.